Welcome to Studies in the Scriptures with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, a broadcast ministry of Return to the Word and made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome back to Studies in the Scriptures, where we walk through the Bible and where we walk through the doctrines taught in the Word of God. Just a reminder that if you're looking for our sermons or for our other podcasts, head over to returntotheword.com and look for our podcast tab. I'm excited because today we're going to be picking up our study of Ruth in the first chapter, where we have seen a Hebrew family in the time of the judges that moved to Moab because of the famine, but they really shouldn't have. They should have stayed in Israel, and so they suffered the discipline of the Lord for their disobedience to God. Naomi's husband is dead. Her two sons are dead. Naomi and her daughters-in-law are on the road back to Bethlehem. Naomi is telling them to go back to the land of Moab. And let's go ahead and read our text, and we'll start with verse 11 of Ruth chapter 1. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughter. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband." If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Well, the rhetorical questions here in verses 11, 12, and 13, I mean, looking back, they almost seem comical. But what was the point? Why did Naomi word it this way? This was meant to be a firm answer, a rebuke, trying to shock these women into a little bit of a reality check. The basic idea all throughout these verses is really, why did you come with me? What are you thinking? If they were trying to solve their problems on their own, it would have been much better for Ruth and Orpah if they just had stayed back in Moab because there they could get remarried. They could have a life. Now, these are blunt words in verse 11. Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Naomi had already been a widow for years. It's doubtful she could have even had children anymore. But there is a little bit of an assumption here at this point by Naomi, because she was assuming that if Orpah and Ruth went with her, that they could only find a new husband in Bethlehem by marrying a son of Naomi. Instead of urging these two young ladies to follow the God of Israel and pray for a young Hebrew husband back in Bethlehem, you get this idea from this passage that Naomi is assuming that she is the only source of a husband for them. The question could also be raised at this point. Did Naomi have in mind the marriage teaching of Deuteronomy 25? Because remember that Deuteronomy 25 says in verse 5, starting in verse 5, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. 
You see, if a man died in Israel without having a son, the concern was that his name would also die out and that his property would then leave the family. Therefore, the brother in a case like this should marry the widow instead of leaving the widow to marry someone from a different family. Now, it could be argued at this point that Naomi had this teaching in mind. But since she had no other sons for these women to marry, that she had given up hope of preserving the family name. But even if an unmarried male relative could not be found back in Bethlehem, I still believe, I still think it would have been better to encourage these ladies to turn to the God of the Jews and marry a Jew once they got to Bethlehem, instead of urging them to return to Moab. But she may have had some doubts because what was the other problem? Well, these women were from Moab, and she may have doubted that the Hebrew men would have married them. Back now in chapter 1 of Ruth, notice with me in verse 12 the continued focus of Naomi to get these young ladies to return to Moab. She's not giving up. She says, turn back, my daughters, go. Now, if I'm just speculating here with some simple math, if Naomi was married at roughly, let's say, 15 years of age, if she had her sons by the age of 20, another 15 to 20 years would have gone by by the time her sons had married. And if the events of this chapter took place 10 years after her sons had gotten married, Naomi now would have been at least 50 years of age, past the typical age of being able to give birth to children. So this is why in verses 12 and 13, Naomi's basically telling them, hey, ladies, do the math, do the math. Even if she came to them right then and told them that she had a husband and that she was hoping to give birth in the next nine months, would these ladies really want to wait for a male child to grow up? Would they restrain themselves all those years from getting married until the sons were of age? And so this is why she tells them at the end of verse 13, No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, this is actually a significant verse in the storyline because now we finally see Naomi was looking at the situation where Naomi said it grieved her. The wording expresses the idea that she was bitter. Naomi was bitter in her old age about her problems. She blamed God for the death of her husband. She blamed God for the death of her sons. And she probably blamed God for the famine and for having no grandchildren. And in Naomi's statement in verse 13, Naomi doesn't take any responsibility for the actions of her family. No repentance, no remorse over sin. She did pray back in verses 8 and 9 that God would grant them husbands, that the Lord would deal kindly with them. But now, just a little bit further into the text, we find Naomi blaming God for her problems. Look at how timeless this is, because people still do this all the time. It is possible that Naomi knew she was being disciplined by God for going off to Moab with her husband and marrying into a people who worshipped other gods. But you cannot escape the idea here that Naomi was bitter, upset with God. And verse 14 reads, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. 
with verse 14, the crying, the Middle Eastern custom of wailing, of mourning. This is what is described for us with the wording that they lifted their voices and wept again. A very emotional scene because they would probably never see each other again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth, she clung to her. We learn nothing else about the fate of Orpah other than she returned to the land of Moab. Orpah, the path she followed, this was the expected path for a woman of Moab. By returning back to the house of her mother, seeking a new husband from among her own people. But Ruth, notice the wording here, she clung to Naomi, demonstrating faithfulness. So in verse 15, what do we see? Well, the text says, And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi tells Ruth, Look, behold, pay attention. Listen up, Ruth. Follow the example of Orpah, heading back down the road to Moab. Orpah was going home to her own people. But what's the other problem in verse 15 with her advice? Well, Naomi tells Ruth that Orpah had returned to her gods and that Ruth, she should actually do the same. Now we need to be fair about this. It was understood in that day that the people of a country would be identified by a number of different things. A nation would be identified as a whole, as a people that followed a certain king, used a certain language, or worshipped a particular god. And this is part of the idea here. Just as the Hebrews were known as the people of Yahweh, the people of Moab were known as the people of Chemosh. They had many, many gods in Moab, but most of their worship was centered on Chemosh because he was the god they looked to for protection and for well-being. So there is a little bit of this here, that Naomi urging Ruth to follow Orpah, who returned to her gods, of this being a way to identify that Ruth should return to her homeland. But the statement, oh, it's still a problem. She should have urged her to follow the one true God of Israel. It's no better than what we read of the Hebrew people in the book of Judges. And it leaves me thinking that if Naomi, if she represents the faith of the people of Israel at the time, well, no wonder the Lord sent a famine upon the land. But let's look at this from Ruth's point of view. Oh, what a tough spot to be in. Her mother-in-law had told her again and again to return to Moab. Her husband was dead. Her sister-in-law was headed down the road back to Moab. She knew what she could expect in Moab. She knew the worship of the gods of Moab, and she knew the people of the land. But it is doubtful that she knew what was ahead for her if she went back with Naomi to Bethlehem. And it is doubtful that she had a solid understanding of the Hebrew faith, because Naomi and her family would have been her main contact with the Jewish faith. She only knew of Yahweh through this family that she had married into. And this family, from what we read in chapter 1, is not exactly a strong example for following the Lord. The response by Ruth in verses 16 and 17 has a certain poetic beauty. Let's read it. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my God and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, this little speech by Ruth could be broken down into three basic parts. 
First is her plea for Naomi not to try to change her mind. Second is her statements of commitment to Naomi. And third is her statement invoking Yahweh as a witness to this pledge. In the first part of verse 16, the wording used by Ruth is pretty interesting. And the New King James and the King James both are using here the word entreat. To entreat means to beg someone often, repeatedly, over and over again. And the Hebrew in this passage means to stop putting pressure on me. And the word for leave is a very strong verb, which means to forsake or abandon. Ruth tells Naomi, quit begging me to leave you. Quit begging me to abandon you. It gives us a sense of obligation that Ruth felt for looking after Naomi. Ruth would not turn back from following Naomi. This is why she tells her, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Now skip down to verse 17 for just a second. We'll come back up to verse 16 again in a minute. But notice this phrase, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. Now, the idea behind this is that Ruth was telling Naomi that she considers herself a part of her family, giving us this idea that she would want to be buried in the same family tomb. Keep in mind that we get the impression from chapter 2, verse 11, that Ruth's father and mother were actually still alive. So let's back up to verse 16 in the second part of the verse where we have this statement, your people shall be my people and your God my God. At this point, we tend to focus on how much faith Ruth really had in the Lord. But I want you to think about her situation. She was a widow that was willing to give up her homeland, willing to give up living among her own people, willing to give up the worship of the gods of her land. Ruth realized at this point that if she was going to live in the land of Israel with Naomi, she would have to commit herself to the people living in that land and have faith in the God that they worshipped. So the question at this point, was she saved by her faith? Well, with the little information we have, how much of a conversion was actually taking place with Ruth at this point is very, very hard to tell. Later on in the book of Ruth, I think there's clear evidence that she did get saved by faith. She did believe in the Hebrew God. But at this point, I think the main commitment was to Naomi. And because Naomi was going to Bethlehem, Ruth was giving her allegiance to the people of Naomi and to the God that they served. How much Ruth understood about the implications of claiming Yahweh as her God, I simply don't know. We simply don't know. How much of a witness Naomi had been throughout all this time? Again, we don't know. But what we have at this point is at least this. It's a starting point, a beginning point. So let's head back down to verse 17 once again and look again at how Ruth ends her statement. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. With the last part of verse 17, this was a typical oath that we see variations of all throughout the Old Testament, asking the Lord to be a witness and enforcer of a pledge that was spoken between two people. But there is something that Ruth says in this oath that stands out. Ruth actually appealed to Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the Hebrew God, to enforce the oath. Now, she could have appealed to Chemosh or one of the gods of Moab. Notice this where Ruth said, the Lord do so to me and more also. Again, another common expression in the oaths that they made. 
The idea behind this was that the Lord could punish her any way that God sees fit if she would go back on her oath. Ruth was not just pledging to help Naomi make it back to Bethlehem or even just take care of her for a little while, but it was until death separated them that Ruth would stand by her side. Then let's read the next two verses. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now by the time we get to verse 18, Naomi understands that one way or another, Ruth was going with her. There was nothing she could do to stop her, and it left Naomi speechless. Their trip from Moab to Bethlehem would have taken roughly a week or more. Now keep in mind that they would have traveled down about 4,300 feet from Moab into the Jordan Valley, and then they would have traveled back up 3,700 feet through the hills of Judea. This is hill country. This is not an easy walk. And with verse 19, the scene now changes to Bethlehem, and we learn that all of the city was excited because of their arrival. Friends and family in Bethlehem surely must have known of their departure for Moab years before this. It's possible that word of her situation may have even made its way back to the city of Bethlehem. And all of a sudden, Naomi shows up unannounced, and the women said to one another, is this Naomi? Years had gone by. Naomi had left in the prime of life and had come back a poor old woman completely destitute. She left with a husband and two sons and came back with her husband and sons all buried in a foreign land. Naomi may not have understood why all this had happened to her, but she did understand how devastating her situation was. Take a look at what she told the women in verse 20. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The name Naomi literally means the pleasant one. Mara means bitter. But again, how does she refer to the Lord here? She referred to the Lord as Almighty. At the very least, Naomi understood that the Hebrew God was in control, that God is sovereign and all-powerful. But she seems to be playing the blame game here, starting in the last part of verse 20, as she says to these women, For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? When she left, she had some security in her husband, and she had a secure future as a woman because of her two sons. The Lord had taken all of that away from her. Naomi, indicating that the Lord had testified against her, gives us the image here of a court of law that the Lord had called her to account and had declared her guilty, and the sentence or penalty for her transgressions was that the Lord had afflicted her. Verse 22 we'll pick up in our next study because it breaks us into chapter 2, but the end of this first part of the drama of Ruth leaves us with a mixed picture of Naomi. At times we see her praying, asking for the Lord's blessing for Orpah and Ruth. And at other times, we see Naomi sending them back to the pagan gods of the land. Naomi understood that the Lord had intervened in her life, but it seems she failed to see her own responsibility and her sin. Naomi was unaware of the blessings in her life that were yet to come. She returned at the harvest. Naomi still had relatives in Bethlehem. Ruth was with her, and God could still use this family 
because he was looking for them to have faith in him. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path.